All right, hey, we're pleased to be joined. J.D. Pakel on three. Man, what, what a joy this is to, to have you in here. Glad to make it happen, man. I've enjoyed your work from afar for a long time, and obviously paths cross on SC Media Day, so yeah. uh, this is a, a privilege for me, and I'm glad to be in here with you, brother. Yeah, I, I honestly say this. I think I've told you this before, but we, we interviewed like 50 people. You were like the nicest guy at SEC Media Days, so I, I thought that, that meant a lot to me. But I have to ask you this, though. I'm not trying to like burn a bridge. I, I'm just I'm sucking <laughs> up to you already, but since my girlfriend drug me to uh, the Barbie movie. It was horrible. Why? What was it like working with Margot Robbie? <laughs> so I never even no, saw it. Just... I never even saw it. And that's not me saying that to like try and save face. Like, oh, I never saw that. I mean, like I went and saw Oppenheimer. Yeah. Heard good things about Barbie. Uh, did not see that. But I, uh, that in itself is a, is a high compliment. You can skip it. So it's I all right. Trust it. me. It was, okay. it, was, it was for the ladies. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, but hey, I'm, I'm very curious. When I get people in here, I love to talk about their journey. Because we can sit here and talk about... You know, what's Kalen DeBoer going to do, Alabama's depth chart? Like, we could have that conversation anytime. So I just having people in here, I'm, I'm fascinated because everybody, it seems like in this media landscape, their journey to where they are is completely different. And I, I think I came across you, I, I can't remember when it was, but it was years ago, I found your YouTube channel where you were basically breaking down, like, I think guys that had just commit or things like that, you were, you were just... X's and O's guy. Yeah. And not long after that, Shannon Terry's like, we just hired a guy. This guy's awesome. And I was like, I already know. I already know, I man, because he's, he's blowing up on YouTube. So I know you, you went to Cornell, right? Yeah. Andy yeah. Bernard style? So Andy Bernard style, man. That was my roommate all, all four years. <laughs> uh, I went to Cornell. You ever heard of it? <laughs> I graduated in four years. I never studied once. I was drunk the whole time. And I sang in the acapella group. Here comes treble. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to uh, have my admission supporter there to play football. Yeah. So otherwise, I had no business getting in, but played football there. And then, funny enough, uh, had a medical redshirt year where I had one more year to play football. And the whole thing with that conference is, like, you don't get to play as a grad student. So, like, my options were unenroll and graduate late and find something to do for a whole semester, which would have just been not ideal in Ithaca, New York. So graduated on time and had one more year to go play ball and walked on at Baylor. Oh, um, really? And so walked on at Baylor, was there for the whole summer. Uh, this was when Matt Rule was there the gotcha. year they went to the Sugar Bowl. But I wasn't a part of that because I actually got another concussion, which was like five at that time, maybe for me. And so I had to retire before this even started. So I'm like, all right, I'm in Waco, Texas, some... You know, I'm do, doing grad school, but I wasn't really super into, you know, graduate school. I was just there to play football. And so that was kind of a weird part in, in my story. But that's kind of how I ended up getting into sports media was uh, there was a fan site there called Sick on 365. Mm -hmm. And the SID at the time at Baylor, Taylor Bryan, asked me, hey, what do you want to do when you finish, you know, playing football? I said, I'd love to do sports media. I don't have any background in that. I just love football, love college football. And like, that would be awesome. So someone from... Sikkim 365, Colt Barber, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, got your name from Taylor. We want to come by and do a post game one of these days. I was like, heck yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, you're letting me on camera? Yeah, that's awesome. So that's kind of what, what the start was for me. And, uh, nice. Yeah, so it's been it's been fun ever since. Were you just like uh, the natural at it? Or, or, did, or did you have to, because you come across so smooth on, on, you know, it's like so seamless. And now I love seeing you all the time now on Paul Feinbaum's show, like Appreciate getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You guys are killing it on, it, it's clear on three is making a big push on YouTube. 
and you're a huge part of that. Uh, so, I mean, was it something you kind of had to learn to do or you were natural at it? Uh, definitely not natural at it. No, I mean, it was one of those things that, I mean, I'm sure you could attest, like, the, the more you do anything, you get better at it. And I still am awful, so I, yeah. No, stop that. <laughs> not, no, man, no. I mean, I think one of the hardest parts, I think, for me was having to make myself sit down and, and watch myself. Like, yeah. that was, oh, yeah. that's tough. Like, like watching bad game film, you're like, man, I don't know if I want to want to go watch that game again. But being able to do that and force yourself to do that enough times, you kind of get to see some of your blind spots. And so, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have people that have uh, allowed me and equipped me to get reps at it. And yeah, um, yeah I've been able to, to. That's the main reason I like live shows, because I don't have yeah. to go back and edit it. There you go. <laughs> there you go, man. And there's no substitute for live reps either. Like, that's a whole other beast in itself. So, oh, yeah, yeah a lot of pros. Yeah, I, I've gotten in trouble a couple of times drinking during a live show. I that's <laughs> I do not recommend that to those listen. Do not drink on the live show. Unless, you, go. you got to be a real pro to handle yourself on something like that. You know what? Yeah, I, I believe it. I, I see. I don't know from experience, but I believe, I'll take your word for it. I believe that whole. That's why I, yeah. I give all the beer to, to cousin Shane and just let him go because everybody loves <laughs> no. him. So they're not gonna get mad at him. They get mad at me. You there know, you what? Go. good energy in the room too. Like everyone's everyone's feeling yeah. like the vibe. Yeah. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. So what what was that like when Shannon? I assume it was Shannon or whoever it was from on three gave you a call and asked you to to join their network. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it was a shock. Um, it was a shock in a lot of ways just in kind of the, the fashion that it happened. Um, at the time, I was working like an eight to five in Waco and loved it, like working for great people. Uh, I was actually recruiting for a startup home care company in Waco. So I was the guy on LinkedIn sending you messages saying, hey, I got an opportunity. Let's talk, <laughs> yeah. set up a call. And even that in itself was valuable, like just getting to talk all day, like on the phone to people like that in itself, I feel like was was orchestrated. Um, but at that point in time, I just got married. My wife's from Texas. Uh, lived in Dallas her whole life. She had lived in Waco at that point for like three or four years. And so we kind of had, for us, we thought at least the next like three or four years planned out. And then four months into marriage, it's like, hey, babe, how do you feel about Nashville? Right. <laughs> so like that itself was uh, a lot of change. But um, no, it was one of those things where, you know, when Nick Saban calls you, you you commit to Alabama. So when Shannon yeah, Terry sure. invites you to be a part of something, you you go work for Shannon Terry. So that was uh Were you familiar with happened. his work previously? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, obviously what he's built over the course of however many years in the industry is um second to none. So that was obviously a huge part of it and uh, very fortunate to be on be on his team. And now you guys got uh just uh, how long has it been open? The the offices here, the on three is pretty brand new, isn't it? Brand new, yeah, brand new. So we're actually still uh, the video team will move over after the second signing day because um, we're still setting up the the studio over there, and that gotcha. would take a, a you know I'm sure some kinks have to get worked out of that. So the last thing you want is national signing day for there to be something short circuiting or whatever. So we'll move over move over after that uh, that second signing day and. Yeah, man, I'm fired up. I just got a chance to walk through there the other day, and it's, I mean, it's awesome. It is uh, really exciting to be a part of. Is it in Brentwood, too? Like, uh, I think it's closer to Nashville. Gotcha. I'm, I'm so geographically challenged, brother. Like, I think I think it's closer <laughs> to downtown. I believe that. Uh, but I know it's not not Brentwood, Brentwood. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's got to be an exciting time, though, because I'm trying to think. How long, how old is On3? Isn't it only, like, three years old? Yeah, very close to that. I think, yeah, I think it's somewhere in the range of like two to three years. I've only been there for, this was our second full football season on the YouTube side of things. Gotcha. So I think we got there after the first year. So yeah, right around that. that. So you were kind of uniquely positioned to where it's not like, 
I mean, I, he has hired people from like ESPN and 24-7 and, and rivals. I mean, it's maybe a maybe not as big a leap for you because it was just such a step up. But yeah. it was still, was it any nervousness coming to a new town, coming to a, work for a new company? Did you feel any of that or were you, were you just speaking to him, you knew this was going to be a winner? Yeah, I don't think there was so much concern for me about on three being a winner. Like, you're just trying to do your part, you know? You're trying yeah. to, it's like you, you got a, a bunch of teammates and, and coaches that are just pros at what they do. You're like, all right, man, I got to do my part here like you got people trusting you to, to do your job and you want to do it to the best of your ability and have great success and all those things get the results so uh, I think there was obviously you know uh, and still is like pressure to bring our best every time you know we step into the office or we hit record on a video but um, yeah I think I was just grateful to have so many good people around me that have been successful and, and that were um, pros in their space that you know raises your level of play and you feel like you have you know great people around you giving you great advice so yeah um, very fortunate in that respect and then how's it work now are, are you in the studio doing all your video content because i think it was i could be wrong you, you you correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was last friday night when like caleb downs went to ohio state and it was like i can't remember what time but i think it was like 7 30 8 o'clock and then it's like five minutes later jd's going live and i was <laughs> like go. my goodness this guy never leave me the office <laughs> what's going on there that. uh I mean, we have a really good team of people that'll uh, give us some sort of heads up as best they can as to what right. could be going on. And so all that's to say that there's a lot of videos that uh, are prepared for scenarios that never happen. Gotcha. And so we had some other videos of Caleb Downs went somewhere else. <laughs> and so sitting on the couch at home with my wife watching the show, get that Twitter notification, Caleb Downs to Ohio State. Okay, hang on one second. Dang. Okay, let's get to set. We're, we're good to go. But okay, uh, okay. Yes, yeah, so that was kind of the method. Just a lot of, uh, like I said, just good teammates to help us get prepped and yeah, yeah, try and do our part. Because I'm, I'm still, I'm, we're fairly new to like live video stuff, and I'm just the way I do it is just like, thank God I was home for like Nick Saban retirement. Yeah, you know, and and someone texts. Well, I, I got like twenty texts. They were like, "Is this real? Is this real?" And I didn't even respond to those people. I just called Shane. I was like, "Get on your computer." As soon as you can. So, and then, and then we have to do it. So a lot, a lot of times we have no idea when we need to go live, you know, but, um, it, it's, it's kind of blows my mind how the live video people, people respond to that more than I could spend 10 hours doing a, a video edit. That's like real clean, polished 4k, great quality. And then it gets like a quarter of the views of like KJ just entered the portal. Let's talk about KJ Jefferson going to right. the portal. Like people just love the live vi videos for some reason. And I don't have any like expertise when it comes to like the fine tune of, of the YouTube algorithm, how they set it up. But I do think from a broad strokes, like I think people gravitate towards the communal feel that a live stream has yeah. to it. Like, oh, heck yeah. Nick Saban just retired. SEC Mike's talking about it. Like, I love that guy. This is big news. Like, I want to go experience this in real time right. with SEC Mike. And so I think all those things kind of work together. And I mean, college football as a whole is such a communal sport you know and i think so that paired with the youtube live feature is uh, i mean a perfect match and it's cool that it equips guys like us to get to do this for a living so it's a good deal right hey you just i know this is completely off topic but you just made me think of something um so when you were at baylor they didn't have the ncaa video game did they no man they didn't I mean, they did sick. not i mean <laughs> that would be the only reason i wanted to play college football other than like the love of the game but like sure. to be on the video game and then to yeah, get there man. and then they don't have it it's like 
what am I even doing with my life? You know what I mean? You see, pros and cons, like the pro would have been, hey, that's cool, that wide receiver 24, that's me. But then I look at the overall and I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, like that would have been a blow to go. So I just, I'll stick with a creative player. I'll bump up all the overalls and that'll be, that'll be how I, how I uh, relive my college football day. Yeah. I'm so excited about that game. Did you, did you play it growing up? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because like, for a long period of time before there was year-round college football content, before like right. I feel like sports media got onto that, it was like, all right, national title game is finished, road to glory or yeah, dynasty. Yeah. Like that's how I'm getting through these dog days. And like during that period, like it wasn't like the portal wasn't popping quite right, as much. Right. Like it didn't have the same year-round feel to it. So that was like that was it for us, you know. That and full <laughs> YouTube reruns of college football <laughs> games, man. So I'm I'm glad for that to be back. But th- that was a staple for sure. Right, because I I think as popular as college football is, it's missing something because not only not having that game, but people like me, that's it's how I got addicted to college football is playing sure. that game. Sure. And there's I think there's a whole generation. I I know they play Madden and stuff, but it's not the same. You know, it's you, you don't get attached to Tennessee or Alabama or Auburn because you. You got recruited to those schools and got to play with them. I, I think a whole generation of, of younger fans are going to be introduced to college football in the years to come, which which is good for the entire game. Big for fight songs, too. Like, you want to memorize a fight song? Yeah. You go play Road to Glory somewhere, you'll have that fight song on repeat. And so that's going to – we're going to have a more uh, a more intelligent, I think, uh, younger generation, too, when it comes to that, that yeah, whole Yeah, no that doubt, whole no doubt. Whew, man, I'm, I'm just so excited. I don't, I don't even know – I don't know if any shows will get done after that game. That's, yeah. the, that's my only concern is how, how I, I'll, I'll have to allocate just like an hour a day because the rest of the time, it'll be right near the season. There there's won't be time to play a game, but I'll, I'll, I guess I just won't sleep. Maybe it's a live stream. Maybe that's content. <laughs> Maybe it's just like, hey, come play the game with me. SEC Mike is on there right now. Like, let's roll. You know? Yeah, yeah. That hey, could be something. That's, hey, that's an idea right yeah. there. Yeah. Man. Uh, but, hey, but speaking of the portal and all that, you just mentioned all that. I mean, do you... Do you think it's good for for college football? Because I, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm I see like like what Ohio State's doing right now. I think that's kind of good, but at the same time, it's Ohio State, right? Like they're supposed to be good anyway. But I but I then I look at Ole Miss. I look at Missouri, and, and there's many others. But if I'm a Missouri fan, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I love the portal. Yeah. I love NIL, and yeah. I feel like that's I if I don't even know they intended it to be that way. But I th- I think that's that's the good of it to where these teams that in years past would have been you would have been crazy to say Missouri could make a playoff run Ole Miss could make a playoff run I think it's almost expected now and I think that's great for college football Yeah I think the portal in itself is just like kind of like like anything like you can overuse something you can use something in a negative way and you know people talk about the negatives of the portal and NIL and guys not having a place to play if they overuse the portal but. I really do think at the end of the day, just what you were saying, like if you use a tool correctly, like you can change the entire landscape of of college football, especially with this 12-team playoff. Like you drop two games, you're still probably in that 12-team dance if you're in the SEC or or the Big Ten. So um, I think the postseason component of it that we're going to get is going to be phenomenal. And also I think we're going to get tremendous national title games. Like to have to go through a 12-team playoff and to be able to tinker with your roster every single year, like – we're going to see, I think, some really, really good matchups when it comes to that January, late December. What's your thoughts on on specifically Kiffin and how he's doing it? Because it, it is so unique, and it, I, I feel like people have been waiting for it to fail. And they say, you, you know, you can't you can't develop a team like this, particularly in the line of scrimmage. And maybe to an extent that's true, because in those big-time matchups, that's kind of where they got dominated. But 
now that's where they're investing a lot as yeah. well. So do you think it's sustainable? And, and if they have a ton of success this year, do you think other people will, will follow that blueprint? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Ole Miss too, like recruited well at the high school level, but not like up with the Georgias and the, like, right. they're not, you know, sitting in the top 10. And so I think for them, they're saying, okay, like Lane Kiffin said it after the Georgia game. He's like, they had double digit five stars. I think we had like, I think he said one or two or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like, hey, there's very clearly, you know, a talent <laughs> gap between Jimmy's and Joe's here. And we, we got to get up here. And so more power to him saying, okay, we have people here at Ole Miss that are going to back us at an NIL perspective and we're going to be diligent in the portal. And that's how we're going to get our Jimmy's and Joe's. And that's how we'll compete. And just like you said, like Ole Miss gave up four yards of carry last year and still won double digit ball games. Like imagine if they cut that down to, three yards or two and a half yards of carry like th then they're competing with those big boys in the sec and i mean just like we talked about with that playoff with the field expanding like the road to a national title is probably steeper but i i do think it's a good bit wider and it favors teams like ole miss and like missouri yeah now but on the flip side it it could kind of go haywire particularly if they trip trip up early yeah against a team i mean their first four games are like a joke i'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying they lose one of those but if God forbid that happens or one of their first SEC games where they're a big favorite. Because, again, I, I'm not questioning the culture or, or the chemistry or anything like that, but I think it's fair to wonder all these moving pieces, putting them together, you know, if, if things go poorly. that That's why Alabama saved it, because mm -hmm. Nick Saban and the culture and everything like that this year. If they were a team of free agents, I don't think there's any chance they would have won the SEC. Now, is, do you think there's a danger for – for things to go sideways for Ole Miss, too? Um, I think with any team that's going to be extra active in the portal, leadership is crucial, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I, that's one of the reasons I don't have a ton of worries about Ohio State. Not because they haven't gone around after, you know, the same numbers, but at some key positions, right? I mean, at the quarterback position, they went and got a, a transfer portal guy in Will Howard. Um, but teams that do go heavy in the portal, like a Colorado, uh, like a Louisville, like a Ole Miss, I think... The, just like I said, the leadership and the the culture and the temperature in those rooms um, is just so paramount. Because like you said, I mean, momentum is huge. Like if, if you start out and you lose a game you're not supposed to, it's real easy to say, well, I didn't have a ton of investment here. Maybe I came here for reasons specific just to me. I don't have a ton of, you know, buy into what's going on here from like a, a ground level. Maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm just going to do my own thing until we finish the season, then I'll go pro. Or maybe I'll go play somewhere else, but right. I'm not sure of what the portal has right now. So that was something that I'm curious about with uh, with Ole Miss for sure. But, I mean, Colorado was was a great example of that. Now, I don't pretend to know exactly what the culture is there. But, you know, they start out 3-0. They're the big story. And they drop, you know, that first game. And they dropped another game. And you kind of felt like, from the outside looking in, you felt like, hmm, I wonder how much real buy-in there is there. Now, again, I don't know that to be true yeah. or untrue, but I think it's a fair question to ask for a lot of these portal teams. Yeah. Do you think um – Let's say Colorado, who knows what they do this year, but let's say they win like 10 games or something. And, and, uh, that'd be something. Hey, that'd be good for everybody. Right. <laughs> well, not that haters, for a lot of somebody. Not the haters. Yes. But, yes. uh, kind of if they, if they, you know, have a great season and they continue that momentum, uh, do you think Dion will, do you think he'll stay there or do you think he comes to the SEC? Because that's a good question. I want him in the SEC just for the for the content. That's know? what I'm saying, man. And it's funny too, because like you see people in the comment section whenever if you say anything remotely negative about Deion Sanders, it's like, man, Deion hater. It's like, brother, I don't think you understand. If Deion Sanders does well, like for everybody in the media industry, that is the best thing that could happen. Like I promise <laughs> you, nobody is hating on Deion Sanders uh, that sits behind a microphone. Um, 
you know, the, the question for me is interesting because you would imagine his, his, you know, sons and, and the tie he has to them, like that's no longer at Colorado. Right. So is there less of an allegiance? Does he want to go and jump to a, a bigger job? I also think like guys like him, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a great example too, just guys that played the sport and obviously to coach the sport at a high level, you got to be competitive, but like those guys have to be as competitive as, as it comes. And, um, with that being the way that they're wired, you're like, okay, if you're a competitor, you want to compete at the highest level. Right. And I don't think it's up for debate if the SEC is a more competitive conference than where Colorado is currently. So if you're Dion, you're like, I want the next challenge. I've already conquered this. Like, let's go do it at, uh, insert SEC school there. I won't name one because I'll get in trouble, you know, with whatever fan base I name Florida, or their name. I'll or, just say okay, it, there you go. Sure, sure. Maybe. I don't know. You if know, things go sideways for Hugh. Sure. I mean, they'll kick him out quick. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I we're mean, Arkansas could be one of those. Arkansas, I thought I wasn't going to name sure. one, but I guess if we're just throwing out schools there. That could be one that, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. But yep. that would make sense, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, especially, you know, with no Shadur, yep. his other son gone to the NFL, Shiloh, like that would, that would make sense. With no Nick Saban and no Jim Harbaugh, I saw someone post this the other day. I thought it was a fascinating question. Who's who's like the face of college football now? And it's got to be Kirby, right? You think it's Kirby? I think it's Kirby. Just by, from what they've done the last couple yeah. of seasons, the way they're trending, like my vote would be in for Kirby. But it sounded like you had a you had a take there. Well, I said Lane Kiffin because when Ooh. I think college football, I think of like craziness and wacky, and maybe just because he's on Twitter like twenty four seven, but. He, he's he's such a wild man, you know, and and it seems like people, it seems like the vast majority of people have hate him, and and his fan base obviously loves him to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but it, yeah, I mean, he's not won anything of significance, so it, I think it's fair to say maybe he's not the face. But I'm wondering, you know, if, if Dion keeps it up, if he's there, certainly Kirby, I think is is certainly the best, and he's got the best program going. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that Kirby is like hated. Yeah, I mean, from a brand power perspective, like Dion Elaine Kiffin, in terms of just like people, if you were to show them a picture, like, you know, this guy, like, yeah, maybe I've seen him before. Dion Sanders, for sure. <laughs> like, I mean, I was walking around uh, the Dallas, I forget what mall it was. I was in I was in Dallas for Christmas. My wife's family was in Dallas. We're walking around the mall, and I saw, I swear, like three or four Colorado sweatshirts. And I'm like, I have not seen a Colorado sweatshirt <laughs> in my, you know, in my entire life, probably seen like three or four right. my entire life. I saw three or four during just walking around during Christmas time at the mall. So, I mean, the brand power that he's created for Colorado definitely pushes towards him being one of the faces for sure. I would imagine those sunglasses he wears. I'm seeing that everybody wears those sunglasses now, too. Yeah, the blenders. I don't those know if he popularized nice. them or not, but those it, it feels nice. like he did. Yeah. I'm I'm just so old and out of touch. Maybe I just wasn't aware. You know, you could I mean? rock one, bro. I think so. I think you could rock a pair. Yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. What, what do you think about uh, Tennessee next year? You th- you think they'll be pretty good? I'm excited. I'm excited for the Nico era, man, because yeah. I think that's the major question mark. Um, for me, I go back to 2022, and we saw what the offense can look like when you have you know a quarterback that can be consistent and make all the throws and, and have the weapons and. So with the Nico era, giving him a whole year to sit, get comfortable, learn the offense, get comfortable at the college level, um, I think that was the best thing for him, to have a year to sit behind Joe Milton. That might be contrary to other people's opinions, but I think that was absolutely the right move. And um, with as talented as he is, that's a that's a tremendous question mark. Like we've seen quarterbacks in that conference just take over at different points, you know, throughout that, you know, th- throughout recent memory. I mean, we think about Johnny Manziel and what he was. So I'm not saying Nico's Johnny Manziel, but just like that kind of impact on a program. Right. Uh, absolutely massive. And and I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm sure you probably are, but 
last season was the lowest scoring output of a Josh Heupel team as he's been a head coach. Uh, the explosive plays were, were down significantly. They were awful scoring in the red zone. So I say all that, they won nine games. Yeah. So it's not like they were garbage. So d- does that does that give you optimism that, uh, again, if that's as bad as we're going to see Josh Heupel offense and they still win nine games, or that, that they can get a lot better, or maybe the SEC's kind of figured him out? Because I, I, you could spin it either way, I, th- I think. Where would you kind of lean on that, do you think? I was just impressed by that he was able to pivot. Because I think there's some reputation with these offensive head coaches like Lincoln Riley this past year or, I mean, Ryan Day historically, not this past year, but, I mean, just over the course of his career, that, like, hey, they're kind of one-trick ponies. They're offensive guys, and if you take away their offense, they can't find a way to win. And, I mean, game after game, we were at the South Carolina game in Knoxville, and, like, that was a gritty performance. I think Joe Milton threw two interceptions, and they still found a way to win that game pretty convincingly by running the football and playing good defense. And so I think the way that he's able to still win in multiple ways – and he's he's able to, you know, slow the game down. Doesn't have to be scoring forty a game for them to be successful. Like you said, win nine football games. Um, that to me is is a sign of a complete football team and, and a head coach who's able to adapt his team to what the personnel is. Like Joe Milton, I thought was solid. He wasn't Hennon Hooker. He wasn't consistent downfield. Uh, the weapons were good. You lose Brew McCoy though in that South Carolina game, and there was no Jalen Hyatt. Like it, Squirrel White's awesome, but like there wasn't a ton of other weapons to, to make you nervous if you were, you know, an opposing defense. So that was encouraging to me if I'm a Tennessee fan that there's other ways for them to still win without their fastball of scoring 40 a game, which I'm sure they'd love to do in 2024. Yeah. Well, and then another thing without Nick Saban, I was looking at the the coaching roster in the SEC. It's, there's a void there, obviously, yeah. without the GOAT. And, and I'm, I'm trying, you know, this is what we do in the offseason. Who's the top five coaches in the SEC? I mean, yeah. you could put, Kirby's got to be there, and I think he's got to be one. But I think like two through five, you you can put in any order. Um, who who would you, you know? I know I'm I'm kind of throwing this at you no, right at the top of your head. I love but it. Who who are the guys in the SEC that you that you would firmly put right behind Kirby right now? I think Brian Kelly his track record. I mean, he's won north of seventy percent of his games throughout his career. I mean, back to back ten win seasons already in Baton Rouge. I think he's just as high a floor a coach as there is. And LSU's probably a high floor operation right now yeah. going into 24. Um, I mean, a guy that we are going to see in the SEC next year, that burn orange baby, Steve Sarkeesian. Like, I've been really impressed with him and what he's done in his time at Texas. Kind of a slow build. They start 5-7, mm-hmm. and seven, have the 8-4 and four year, and then have this big pop year of making the college football playoff and winning the conference. And so the fact that he is Quinn Ewers coming back, I think sets him up for success in, in year one in the SEC, along with what they've done in the portal. Um, I put Steve Sarkeesian in the mix up there, and then our guy Lane Kiffin has to be up there, right? I mean, the way he has attacked what modern college football is and embraced yeah. the portal and embraced all that change, and um, I think he's absolutely up there. So I'd, I would probably go with those guys in my, my top five. Um, I'm trying to think for that fifth spot, man. I mean, what Eli Drinkwitz has done has been nothing short of sensational at Missouri. I mean, good for the powers that be for extending him. I think he's got to be at least in that conversation for, for a top five SEC coach heading into 2024, at least. Yeah. Um, he would get a, he would get a vote from me. Mark Stoops, another guy like there's, there's a lot of good coaches, but to your point, like it's uh, a little bit more of an open field now with, uh, without Nick Saban in the picture. Do you buy Kalen DeBoer as, as one of the elite coaches in the country? Or are you still wait and see? Cause he's only got two years of power five. I mean, I've, I've seen 
some people are they're so divided on this. Yeah. I mean, his record is incredible. He's twelve and two against top twenty-five competition. And I would I would argue, I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say I watch all Washington football sure, or anything, sure. but I I would imagine the probably every time he's got less talent than than who he beat in those fourteen games. So I mean that's the mark of great coaching. But he's only done it two years in power five level now. There were some pretty good, yeah, pretty good some years. good ones. So, yeah, uh, I don't know because I'm I'm already on record. I think I think Alabama will win a national championship in the next two years. Wow, under him, calling the shot. Now I will say this I like too. It. Okay, if they miss the playoff in either of those years, they're gonna run his ass off, and they probably should because he's got a top elite roster, mm-hmm. and if he's an elite coach. He's not Nick Saban. I'm not. That's crazy to say he is. But I'm not saying this the dynasty where he's going to win six national championships. But I think he'll win one or two at Alabama if if he's as good as he's cracked up to be. I mean, I think the the question that people have, including me, is how is he going to recruit? And the great part about that, if you're Kalen DeBoer, is you have this one to two year window where like you can kind of recruit how you want as long as you don't hemorrhage even more players to the portal, yeah. which you know was unfortunate with the Saban exodus. Um, like you said, they still got a great roster. So, like, you will have the pieces on campus if you can put them together the right way to be competitive in year one and probably in year two. Now, after that, start to see more of the, you know, the Kalen DeBoer guys and, and right. all that and see how that translates. Um, I think it's super fair for us to just say we don't know what he is. Um, and that's not to say that he's not a great coach. I think as a coach, one of the best in the country. I mean, to win 104 of 116 games as a head coach, like, you know, you don't you don't stumble into that. Right. Um, but Alabama has been Alabama, of course, because of Nick Saban. But in tandem with that, like they recruit at a top two level, it feels like every single year. And so, with how talented the SEC is, with a team like Georgia, with Texas, who recruits at a, a top three, top five level now consistently, um, how much of a of a margin of difference is there between Bama's roster in the future and Georgia and Texas and heck LSU and the rest of the SEC? So. That's what I'm really curious about is is how he can recruit once we get past these two classes of his that are you know quite frankly Nick Saban's players. Yeah, that's why he better he better win big right Time out the now, gate. Time is now, baby. Because I, yeah. I, I I'm more confident in that than I am in him being there in five years. Just because really? what you said. Okay. Just because I think there, I think Nick Saban's, I think Kirby's the best recruiter in the country, and I think he has been for a couple years. But Nick Saban, I think he's the best of all time, and that that's why he was the greatest coach too, you know? And I mean, it's tough because we're talking about, you know, Georgia wasn't even in the college football playoff this year. Now in an expanded format, obviously they're in there. Um, LSU obviously always recruits well, but I guess all that's to say you can recruit in in the top 10 level and that still isn't good enough to win you the SEC. So like how well does he have to recruit to be able to ultimately bring home hardware like that and make runs in this 12-team format? I'm I'm curious to see. Curious to see. Yeah, and I think to that point, I, I think SEC fans, I think they're going to be more uh, wanting playoff berths than SEC championships. Yeah, that's not that's not an unreasonable take at all. Because I I, I guarantee you, there's going to be champions that don't that don't win the SEC that win the national championship in this twelve format. Yeah. So I I, I think that's how we're going to be judged or, or judging our coaches, and half the league thinks they are playoff worthy and they will not be <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i mean we saw it in the four-team format when george's <laughs> right. losing in atlanta and then they go with the national championship and they beat alabama you're like all right like hey like that's that's going to get expanded just like you said with this 12-team format and adding texas and oklahoma of course two uh, two fan bases that they expect to be there yeah 
You know what I mean? And then it's fair for Texas now, because I think a lot of people were saying, well, Texas, you know, they always think they deserve this or that. Like that was kind of the outside perception. Yeah. Uh, I mean, based on what they did this past season, like I don't think anybody's saying Texas shouldn't expect to be in that playoff field and have a chance to go win the whole thing. And how crazy is it? They're they're probably going to have, not in the upcoming draft, but the following one, a first round pick at quarterback, maybe the top overall pick. I don't know. Yeah. And then I think the fans are going to be like, the next quarterback's even better. Yeah. Because we all know who it's Arch Manning. So, I mean, it's good luck with that. You know what I mean? But the, the expectations are not going anywhere in Austin. You know no. what? Did, did that surprise you at all? That uh, I, And I have no idea. But I, I have heard, and I, th- I think it's 100% true, that Sarkeesian was coaching waiting when he was Alabama offensive coordinator. So, you know, they probably vetted or at least asked him if he wanted the job. Yeah. And and I I don't think he gave it much of a consideration. Does it, does that surprise you? Because uh, I mean I I think Texas is is obviously an elite job too. Yeah, I mean I think especially with the expanded format, with Texas having just beaten Alabama to the year before, like I think uh, I think it'd be malpractice to not call Steve Sarkeesian though. If you're the powers right. that be at Bama, like you got at least give him a call, right? See if he's interested. Um, I was curious how much allegiance he felt to Tuscaloosa with how long he was there. Or not how long he was there, but with he what he accomplished under Nick Saban and taking a chance on him after everything you know kind of went left. Um, but no, I, I think just the resources, the fact that he's got Texas up and running, the way they're recruiting, like I think at this point in time in college football, where Steve Sarkeesian has Texas, everything he wants to accomplish, he is well within striking distance of accomplishing. And at Alabama, he could do the same thing, but um, you know you kind of built it to a point that you've worked to build it to if you're Steve Sarkeesian, and now they're at a chance to kind of you know, reap the rewards of their labor. So I, I think it makes sense. But again, I would have to believe if you're Alabama, you got to at least yeah. give him a text message, you know, like give him a little, <laughs> you up? maybe yeah, maybe DM him on Twitter. Like, hey, what's what's going on here? Like that would be malpractice to not do that, you know? It really bugs me when I, I hear people say, well, who would want to follow Nick Saban? That's an impossible yada, yada, yada. The, these guys are not wired this way. No. I, I would imagine Kayla DeBoer, when he got that call, he said, you know, I'll probably be taking Washington as far as, as I'll ever take him to the Nash, the freaking national championship yeah. and came up just short. Now, could he have done it again? Maybe, but it goes back to what I said. He's inheriting a roster with defections and all that is worthy of winning the national championship now. And that's why these guys get into this. And, and that's why I think Sark, not because he didn't want to be the guy that replaced Saban, but he's already he's already got it established at Texas. Yeah, and there wouldn't be that you know we got to install the offense, we got to find our quarterback. He's he's already got all that made. So that's why I think it made sense for Sarkeesian to just be happy where he's at because he's at a place that can that can win it all. But uh, one place where they can win it all, which they are far from doing. I want to ask you about Florida and Gainesville. Yeah, I don't. Do you know Brad Powers, Las Vegas handicapper? I don't know. Uh, I, I posted something the other day. I was like, I was kind of projecting the over under for the Gators next year, and I said, I think the over under they'll, they'll they'll set the line at six. Okay, yeah. And that's not me saying I think they're going to win six games or anything like that. I think that's when the Vegas lines come out. I think that's what they're going to have Florida at six over under. And he said, he, so he's a professional handicapper. He's been doing it for fifteen years. And he, you know, they what those guys do is they analyze schedules and things mm-hmm. like that. He said, "This is the hardest schedule I've ever seen in 15 years of being a Las Vegas handicapper." Is what the Florida Gators. And he says, "If the Gators are a top 20 team, which 
they would go six and six given that schedule. And I think we all know Florida is probably not a top twenty team right now. Sure, they could be sure. at the end of the year. Yeah, but they're but they're not. They're not going to be that in the preseason. No, for what that's worth. So I mean, is it even? How do we even evaluate Billy Napier given? You know, there, there's been so much NIL issues. Now they're being investigated. Now they, for the life, my entire life, Florida does not play a difficult non-conference uh, aside from Florida State. Mm -hmm. And all, all of a sudden they said, let's play a more difficult non-conference. And oh, it just coincides with the worst run in program history. I mean, it, it feels like, I hear Billy Napier is a heck of a guy, but it, it feels like it, it feels like the weight of the world's on him. You know what? Oh, it's brutal. And I, and I think what you just said is on the money, like, how do you assess a head coach who's about to go through the Hunger Games that is the divisionless <laughs> SEC and the way he has the month of November is just nothing short of ridiculous. So I think that the tough part for them is, like we talk a lot about how he hasn't recruited and you know, what they've failed to do in comparison to the Dan Mullen years. And my thing is like, well, you recruit in a lot of ways or gain momentum recruiting by on-field success. Well, your on-field success is in a lot of ways by nature of what you have on your roster. What was on the roster before was what Dan Moore left you on the roster. Right. And so we're kind of like trying to assess him based on what he's done since he got there, but there's just more pieces to it. So I think the context of it all is so important. And from a macro level, we look at this thing and say, oh, he's five and seven, must not be a very good coach. And you go back and look at the season and it's like, if Missouri, and this is a bunch of if and woulda, shoulda, coulda, so that's totally fair to just dismiss it. But like, if they hold Missouri on fourth down and win that football game, uh, if they hit that 44-yarder against Arkansas, win that football game. And the expectation last year for them in Vegas was five and a half wins. So if they win seven, we're looking at Florida as making a one-win improvement mm -hmm. and as a team that did better than they were supposed to do in the preseason. So I think those plays kind of changed the macro view of, of Florida. But, I mean, I look at Florida and things that, you know, you can attribute to coaching, and I'm like, Graham Mertz, night and day from Wisconsin to what he was last year at Florida. I think that's a coaching thing. Uh, Eugene Wilson being a, a focal point of that offense and involving as much as they did as a true freshman, I mean, I think you, you tip your hat to coaching there. Um, coming back from 10 down against South Carolina, like you play for a guy like yeah. Billy Napier, I think that's coaching. So it's so tough to sit here and say, well, yes, you're missing the mark, but also looking at all these pieces that that work, you know, to make the the final product, to make the, the story, um, I think it's, it's unfortunate the hand that he's dealing with right now, but if they can if they can find a way to win eight games, if, which would mean they're six and one heading in November, I think that'd be enough to to give him another year. Which I hope he does it. I think he's a great coach. It's just unfortunate for them they can't play Tennessee every week. You know, I mean, <laughs> in the swamp, <laughs> in the swamp. You know, that, that pains me. But that's just how wild this sport is. You know, I mean, there, there's these there's these series, these annual series, that some teams just have like a voodoo on the other ones and mm -hmm. clearly florida over tennessee for years well obviously Al well alabama about it against everybody but really against lsu is is what i was going to say but that, that that's why I, I think i love college football so much though it's just the the annual traditions and you're dealing with younger athletes that you just never know how they're going to handle the pressure mm -hmm. you know and there's just and so I, many pieces yeah. and i think even now we we see it and i know we've seen it in tennessee many years but across the sec i think the pressure's even though these guys are highly paid, I think it's getting to the coaches. And, yeah. and you see that more and more often. You know, you, Shane Beamer, you know, he, he I, I actually, people get mad at him for showing emotion. I love it. I love it too, yeah. Because I, I hate these robotic press conference guys. But Eli Drink, Drinkwitz, he's very emotional. He's 
he's gotten he's gotten after me a couple times after things I've said. But uh, I I love that part of the game. I I just love the emotion of college football. I, I think that's what makes it special. I hundred. I mean, I one thousand percent agree, and I think. Um, that's something you don't always get in, in other sports. Not that they don't show emotion, but like college football is going back to the communal part of it. There's so much more of a tie from a fan base level. I think like having gone to a school and wearing that sweatshirt every Saturday, and you know have that that allegiance there. I think that's that's a different kind of tie. And just like you said, the traditions, the rivalries, the pageantry, all those things. I mean, make for the greatest regular season in, in sports. And um, yeah, the emotion obviously plays a massive part in that, and it's it's fun for guys like us to be able to be a part of it in some small fashion. Yeah. So with with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, how do you think they'll they'll fit into the conference? Because we're already starting to see it. I mean, seems like everybody just hates Texas. Sure. I yeah. The horns down and everything. I mean, that they're not helping their cause by getting angry about stuff like that. Yeah. We're seeing Oklahoma and Missouri. They're having some back and forths already. I think Oklahoma and Arkansas will be a fun series. Uh, they're trying to, I guess they're trying to make LSU Oklahoma a rivalry now. They put that at rivalry weekend. So I I feel like the SEC literally could not have done any better than getting Texas and Oklahoma. They, I think they'll fit in like a glove. In terms of like what I would distill the SEC down to, if I could just pick some like, you know, bullet point words like, okay, pride, emotion, pageantry, you know, I mean, all, all of the extreme adjectives that go into like caring about your football, like <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas fit those to a T. So I think yeah. like having the having those brands too against some other historic brands, like when Texas and Georgia play in Austin, like that's going to be incredible. When you get Oklahoma, LSU, like you said, that's going to be incredible. So just from a purely entertainment standpoint and from like a grassroots college football fan standpoint like it, it it checks a lot of boxes so i think we're in for a good a good 24 i know there's a lot of good quarterbacks coming back in the sec and it's kind of hard to pick the best one do you have one that you think right now is is kind of a cut above right now than, than any of the others that's a great question i think quinn ewers if you were to line him up for a pro day probably impresses the most mm -hmm. i think carson beck's gonna be awesome man i think carson beck by nature of what he did last year in his first year as the guy, yeah. he gets another year with Mike Bobo. Mm -hmm. They went and got him some weapons in Colby Young and Lennon Humphreys and Trevor Etienne. Like, I think the idea that he could get even better from last year to this upcoming year is terrifying. You pair that with the fact that Kirby Smart's, you know, involved with the defense there with Glenn Schumann. Like, that's a tremendous combo. And so I'm excited to see what he does his second year as the starter. Um, they don't ask him to do quite as much throwing the ball downfield as, as they do Quinn Ewers in that offense. But I think those two guys are probably my my 1A and 1B in that conference. And then uh, just entertainment value, man, like Mr. Let Brady Cook in Missouri, <laughs> yeah. bro. He's talking about emotion and fire. Like he's yeah. a guy that's like, man, if I'm an offensive lineman for that guy, like I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a throw a little extra block after the whistle because 12 throwing the football, you know. And then right. I was, Nico, too. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks that get exciting. So Yeah, and I'm fascinated to see what Milro looks like in DeBoer's system if he wins that job because people are out on him. I think they're crazy. I think he's awesome. I think Connor Wigman doesn't get caught, talked about enough mm -hmm. in Colin Klein's system. I, I'm fascinated to see that. Jackson Arnold, yeah. I think he's got big-time potential. There's a lot of good quarterbacks. South Carolina fans, are they're, they're killing me over – sellers about you know he should they're you know top five quarterback i'm like whoa let's watch him a little bit yeah, before yeah, we get does, but yeah. i i hope i hope for their sake that he does because that that would add that would make south carolina a fun little team to watch too you know what oh i mean shane beamer and him like 
Shane Beamer having some momentum too. Like, remember how fun that was in 2022 <laughs> when we all took that ride of like, man, it's it's Gamecock no like Gamecock October. Like they just yep. for whatever reason catch fire in that month. At least a season ago they did or two seasons ago. Um, Brock Vandergriff at Kentucky too. I like that. I think that's sneaky. I'm excited to see what he does. And they kept Liam Cohen. That was huge. Kept Liam Cohen. I mean, the the way they talk about him from his days at Georgia, they're like, hey, listen now, like. Because he didn't win the job in, in Athens doesn't mean this dude isn't an absolute ball player. So I'm right. excited to watch him, too. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in this conference. Do you have a, a favorite player of all time in college football? Oh, man, that's a great question. Someone that of you, all time. Maybe that you really you grew growing up you really loved or, or anything like that? Golly, that's a great question. Tebow was just so iconic. Like, Tebow's got to be up there. Have you had a, a chance to meet him in person? I have not. Have you? I mean, I've like bumped into him a couple. I'm like intimidated, but oh, he's massive, Matt, yeah. Matt, and super nice. Like he he said hello to me a couple times. I'm like, yes, what's up, Tim? Yeah, <laughs> you know? there you go, yeah. there you go. I don't think he's got no clue who I am, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very intimidated by him. But uh, yeah, def- he's up there. I, Johnny Manziel for me too, dude, is up there. Uh, Cam Newton, McCaffrey for me was was awesome. Like I played against him in high school for like a, a seven on seven tournament. So seeing him then, and then seeing him, what he's doing now, you're like, that was the same guy from Valor Christian in Colorado, that little, you know, that, that school. And yeah. you don't think you don't think Colorado and think, wow, impressive high school football. Not that there's not some dudes that come out of there, but like, and to see what he's doing now in the league and what he did at the collegiate level, like, was just a, a road to glory mode in itself. What he did at Stanford. Yeah, the most impressive player I've ever seen in person. You 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 probably I I can give you a thousand guesses. You probably wouldn't get this. Jamarcus Russell at LSU. Really? Okay. The guy could flick it, and it would go 70 yards. I mean, I think he legitimately could throw it 80, 90 yards. No kidding. Could run, could not be tackled. They played at Tennessee one year, and, I mean, it was just it was just the Jamarcus Russell show. And you, and I, you see why, you know, I guess it was Al Davis or whoever fell in love with him and drafted him number one. I mean, he, he just had insane potential. Just physical tools. I mean, and just a tank of a man. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, I, that's that's one of those stories where you're like, dang, like him, Johnny Manziel, and you're like, that would have been so cool if that had worked out. You know, like just did you the, ever the hear natural the, ability? The, the story about the, the videotapes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's tough. That's a tough deal right there. <laughs> tough deal, man. Yeah, unrealized potential though. You know yeah. what? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, sticking in that vein of like players we saw in person, DeAnthony Thomas. When he was at high school in, in Crenshaw, mm-hmm. um, saw him at a seven on seven. When Pete Carroll was at USC, and I tell you what, like as a running back, he was just tearing it up. Like it was, it was. I think they called him the Black Mamba at that point. Like that was what his <laughs> name was. I was like, dude, this guy's just taking over. He was like a sophomore at that point, and it was ridiculous. So yeah, freakish, freakish. What's it like that? Uh, is was this the first year where they, they let you go around the the country to go to the games and stuff? What I mean, what was that like? Yeah, man, it was awesome. It was awesome. I think we got out to... You ever sit around and pitch yourself hours? and be like, oh, 100%. not only, I mean, this is good enough what, what we get to do, but it's like another level when you're like getting paid to go around the country to these the best venues in, in America to, to watch these games? Oh, man. So, so fortunate. Yeah, there's a couple of times, especially when you pull up to that stadium on a Saturday or you get your credential or whatever, and then you kind of have to remind yourself like, oh, yeah, we're getting paid for this. Like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Like, if I, you know, if you told... 10-year-old JD, hey, we're going to go see Clemson, Florida right. State today in Death Valley. I'd be like, awesome. 
Like that's a, that's a great day off. Like no no no, they're paying you. It's like right. how much do I got to no pay? No kidding. You yeah, know? how much do I have to pay? That sounds expensive. How much do we got to you know to be out there? Um, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that in itself too, being able to get out a little bit this this past season and you know see more people that that are at these games and go experience different you know stadiums and campuses like that is uh, I mean special to be that close to the the fabric of college football and. Yeah, feel feel very very lucky. And Has there been a favorite that. environment that you've experienced? Oh man, or, or... there were a lot of good ones. Yeah. Um, being in Knoxville at night was special. The when they had uh, South Carolina come to town, they had the dark uniforms. That was special. Yeah, um, a lot of people had strong opinions on Death Valley, Clemson. That is um, at night, and they're like, "Hey, come back for a night game. Come back for a night game." And it was like Florida State was in town, so obviously like a big game, but. I thought that atmosphere at noon was absolutely unbelievable. I thought that was that was phenomenal. So that was a great one. I'm trying to think where else. Um, Did any any of them surprise you about how how good they were? It's a good question. Um, trying to think if there was any that that were surprising. Um, I think Ohio State. Every time you go there, you because you hear. I think there's like so many places that have a reputation of, hey, just so you know, if it's not this game, don't get you know don't get your hopes up too much, but we were there for the Penn State game. That place was rocking. Like, it filled up early, and I guess it's still a big game, but you hear a lot of, like, hey, if it's not Michigan, don't expect a lot. But I thought Ohio State was uh, tremendous in, in every sense of the word. Are there any stadiums that you haven't gone to yet that are, like, on your bucket list? I think Autzen in Eugene would be incredible. Like, I mean, that's a ways out there. But That's that... the loudest stadium I've ever been to. No kidding. Has you been? Yeah. Okay, which game were you there for? It, I, I guess it would have been 2013 Tennessee played up there. Okay, that's right. I remember that. And we were, yeah, we I remember were, that. We were only like five rows up. So, I mean, we were perfect seats. And it's not it's not big. It's like 50,000, 60,000. I mean, they pack that place out, right? And, and it's built into it. the ground. It's so weird. The, the the acoustics, it traps the sound. Like, it. I had a splitting headache the whole time. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet. I, that was the Mariota game, correct? Was Mariota there, or was that... Yeah, Tennessee jumped out to, like, a 3-0 lead, and okay. I was talking trash to all the people, and the, the, the final score was, like, 63-10. to 10 Okay, I, I, I remember that. Yeah, I remember Okay, you know, hey. But those fans, too, were great. I think because they knew they were going to kill Tennessee, so they were <laughs> no. like, there was no bad blood. Sure, you know? sure. They all said the same thing. They were like, as long as you're not a Washington fan... We like. I didn't even know that was a rivalry, and I was like, "Oh yeah." Now yeah. I know. Like, don't bring up Washington sure. and, and Oregon. You know what? Yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, <laughs> not fans of each other, to say the least. Uh, Death Valley, Baton Rouge. Ooh. Have you been there? Oh yeah. Haven't been there. It's on the bucket list. I feel like that's always people's like top school or went, top campus. I've only been there stadium. one time. It was a night game, thankfully, and it was uh, Ole Miss, Hugh Freeze. I think they were undefeated because they were like, it was a top five showdown, and. It was an ugly game. I think the final score was like 10 to 7. LSU scored in the fourth quarter and then they stormed the field. And I didn't storm the field, but I was there and it was I was wearing Tennessee stuff there. Heck yeah. I confused the heck out of everyone. That's they were like, special, why are you wearing Tennessee? I was like, I don't know. But what you know, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. That's a good one. And the food down there is amazing. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. And, and that's the only place I've ever been to where it's like the atmosphere was like a music festival. Like it is, it's wild down Bumping. there. Yeah. Wild. They do football and they do food, from what I understand, at an elite level. Right. That's obviously a draw. Anytime you got both of those things, like, hey, we're there. <laughs> we're there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Any any others? I'm, I'm trying to think. Any, yeah, the any swamp your... would be incredible. Um, Just make sure it's 
Not early in the season. Yeah, okay, there you go. There you go, good to know. Uh, Nebraska. Mm. I mean, that's one of those Big Ten campuses and Big Ten stadiums that I feel like is just historic in every sense. And I mean, the way that fan base, man, the way that they love their team, regardless of how they're yeah. doing, like, I mean, I, cool. I admire the heck out of that. And then obviously having, you know, some ties to that staff that's there now is, is obviously a draw, too. I mean, I believe in Matt Rule and what he's building there, so... Those, I mean, that that list, I think, is probably not all-encompassing, but some of the ones that come to mind when you when you ask that question, for sure. Yeah. Do you have any uh, thoughts? I know it's early. I, I hate to pin people down. I love down, it, man. No, let's do it. We're here in January. Early maybe. thoughts on SEC teams that'll that'll make the playoff? Oh, gosh. So I did a, a post-Saban retirement, post-transfer portal top 12, and I think within that top five, I had like three SEC teams because you count Texas now, too. So, I mean, right. I think – I think George will have to be in there. Obviously, I think Texas will be in there. I think Ole Miss. I think this is the year where they're, they're at least in the dance. Um, trying to think who else that I, I feel really confident in. Besides, I mean, I think LSU. As long as Brian Kelly's the head coach, you feel like the floor is pretty high there. I'm trying to think who else. Those four, I would feel pretty confident today. Saying if I had to, you know, put money down on four teams, are probably the four I'd, I'd roll with. Um, Alabama was in there at seven for me. I just see. I'm just so wait and see on Kalen. Yeah. I think they'll be great. Um, I think the variance is just so high with a new staff and all the guys they lost through the portal. Like there's just there's so it, it could be tremendous or it could also swing the other way and you could have some some real problems and real problems in Tuscaloosa looks a lot like eight and four, nine and three, which you know for most places like <laughs> we're talking a few moments ago about hey if, if Florida goes eight and four. Billy Napier's keeping his job, you know, so right. um, I'm excited to see what Bama is. Though. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Are there any games that, that really stand out to you? Because there's there's a couple, like Georgia at Texas. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be insane. Georgia at Bama. Mm-hmm. That's going to be good. The first SEC game next year for Oklahoma and Tennessee is Tennessee at Oklahoma. Mm. Josh Heupel reunion. There we go. That's going to be That's going to be pretty hype. But the one game that I have circled over all others – is Texas at Texas A&M. Ooh, yeah, okay, that was the one. I thought you were going to say something else right there, but Texas, Texas A&M. I mean, that was, that's, was taken from us all. And I, 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 I've never even lived in Texas. I didn't go to Texas. Sure. I didn't go to Texas A&M. But I feel like I was robbed that as a college football junkie for, for years. And all we got is years and years of, of Twitter fights yep. and this coach saying, "Oh, we'll play the game," and that coach saying, "Well, we're open to the game," and yada yada. It's just it's just been nothing but junk, and now we finally get it back on the field. Uh, I, I more than any, that's a game that I'm excited about. The fact that A and M has a line about Texas in their war hymn, singing <laughs> Varsity's Horn Sawed Off, and we didn't get that game is nothing but treason. And so the fact that we get it now is is going to be awesome. I remember. When the news broke, I was living in Texas about, you know, Texas going to the SEC, Oklahoma's going to the SEC, and immediately, like, the conversation shifted to, oh, then we get A&M in Texas back. Like, that's going to be. And so I was working with somebody um, who was our producer at Sigma 365, Jack McKenzie, and he's like, it's probably three or four years away, but I need to apply right now for a credential for that <laughs> game. I, I need to be in the building when that game happens. So. I hope that happens for him, and I hope for hope for both of our sake. I hope we end up finding a way there somehow. Yeah, I mean, I want Johnny Manziel there, Vince Young. Like, it needs to be a tr- you know, trash talking, so much fun. M- McConaughey, let him come in there. Yeah. There's got to be famous Texas A&M grads I can't think of. But uh, what are your thoughts on this? Because when, when that came about, 
obviously t- the SEC needed to figure out, are we going to nine game conference schedule? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been a nine game guy forever. Cause I want, I want Texas and Texas A&M annually. I want Auburn, Georgia. I want Tennessee, Bama, but if they keep it at eight, we're probably going to lose those games. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the only way I've looked at it, but I've kind of come to the light to where I think they have to stay at eight because all anybody is going to care about anymore is making the playoff. Yeah. And when you go to nine SEC games, we're going to have more losses in the conference, which is going to mean more less teams in the playoff. And, and the, these coaches are totally against it, and I get it. Not that I sit and cry for millionaires or anything like sure, that. But, sure. but I get why they're against it. Do you have any strong feelings one way or another? Because, again, if we stay at eight, we're going to lose Alabama, Tennessee annually. We're probably going to lose Texas, Texas A&M annually, which is like crazy. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it. But what t- taking those things into consideration, do you, do you think they should go to nine or stay at eight? As a college football fan, I'm like, let's go to nine. For the same reason you just said, like, I want to see these historic matchups. I yeah. want that as consistent as possible. Like, let's, let's do that. Um, but to what you just said about the whole playoff format, I think it's wise for them to say, okay, we're going to see how this first year goes. You know, this 2024 year is kind of a stopgap. We'll let y'all figure out the playoff and how you want to treat that and kind of get a little bit of a dip, dip the toe in the water and see how they assess that 12-team playoff. And then if it becomes a thing where – hey, we can do nine nine conference games and still have the teams that are the best 12 into this college football playoff from our conference. Okay, great. We'll roll forward with that. And I think that's probably a fair way to go about it. But like, yeah, selfishly as a viewer, I'd love to see nine. Like, I think that would be be awesome. But again, what, what I want as a viewer and what's best for, for college football sometimes, those don't always line up exactly <laughs> right. But yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. Hopefully we get it figured out. So, I mean, I have no doubt. Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to fit. It's going to work. It's going to be fantastic. But I have serious reservations about the Big Ten and what they're doing with UCLA, USC, and even I know Oregon and Washington were great this year. But mm-hmm. and I think the only natural thing they're they're probably going to add Miami or Florida State or Clemson or something like they're going to try to be like a national conference. Mm-hmm. I can already I'm writing the PR for them. There you go. Do you th- do you think this is this is sustainable? Or, or do you think it's going to break apart and, and kind of, like Chip Kelly was saying, like, let's just do football and, and maybe basketball, but specifically football on their own, keep kind of to where, I mean, it's, I don't know how you feel about it, but I just think it's going to be so stupid to have Southern Cal playing Rutgers and Maryland. And yeah. I think, the, I think even the players, I think, are going to hate it because they're going to be traveling cross country every week. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's going to work. A lot of those kids, too, that come out of high school to a UCLA or USC, like one of their big draws is, okay, great, I can stay home. Even if it's a away game, my family can come see me play at Cal or come see me play at Stanford or at UCLA. Like those are all accessible games to a degree, some longer drives than others. Um, But like you said, when you go play in New Jersey or you go play in Happy Valley, like that kind of takes that component away. So I think for football, we'll find a way to make it work. There's so much money to be able to – travel and to kind of work all the logistics part out but i think what chip kelly is saying is on the money like how are we supposed to have softball play this national schedule and you know those those schools that aren't necessarily the revenue earning sports like that to me is a hurdle that feels not insurmountable but definitely feels like it's more of a barrier than it's worth to keep you know putting that round peg in a square hole um now again from a football perspective i'm like USC, Michigan? Yeah. 
Oregon, Ohio State, let's do that every year. But um, <laughs> like from a common sense standpoint, we're like, okay, guys, we can't have our cake and eat it too, right? That doesn't right, make any right. sense. So pros right. and cons. Last thing, I, I love, I know you're not a big hot take artist. Try not to be. But yeah. we are on yeah, this show. Yeah, okay, I so, love it. Let's do it. Well, I want to see, Do you? can you come up or, or do you have any hot takes for the SEC? I thought the higher the better. And it could just be, you know, I'm not asking you to pick Vanderbilt to win the national sure, championship, sure. but maybe some team that, that could come out of out of the blue and win 10 games like Missouri did. Or maybe, I, I mean, as good as Jaden Daniels was at times, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would have thought he would have won the Heisman. No, yeah. I mean, LSU fans, some of them said, Let's kick this over to Garrett Nussmeyer. I saw what he did against Georgia. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I mean, that was a that was a topic. So, uh, any any anything that you're kind of leaning on early to to, to be kind of hot takeish that that you feel strongly about? That's a great question. I'm, I'm trying to think if I can muster up something something like notable for us here. I do think Auburn makes a jump. I think Peyton Thorne getting spring practice, or if they go to another guy in that post spring portal, if that's something that they end up doing, I think Auburn really is in good position to take a jump. Um, really should have won seven games last year without the New Mexico State black eye situation for them. Um, <laughs> see what else here. I'm really curious about Kentucky, man. I think Brock Vandergriff's going to be a player. Like, really? I, and I don't have a, a ton of insight past what you know the good folks in Athens are telling us, which I trust wholeheartedly. Um, but I, I really think just the way that Mark Stoops just continues to put out solid football teams year in and year out. Like, I think Kentucky's going to be one of those schools to watch. Um, I really th- – I think Jackson Dart's going to be in the Heisman conversation, if that's if that's hot take enough for us here. I mean, I think the strides he made from year one to year two in that offense, having never been an RPO guy, and then leaping forward this past season, getting another year, getting Trey Harris back, uh, getting uh, Juice Wells through the portal. Like, that's I think the they're going to be in a good spot. I, th- I think – They've had so many portal additions, it's hard to keep track. But Ridiculous. People have, I think they've kind of overlooked Juice Wills. It's massive. I had him as the best receiver in the SEC coming into last year. Of course, he got hurt and all that. But if he can reach that level again, or, or even come close to it, mm-hmm. I mean, Ole Miss offense could be ridiculous. You're stupid. I mean, and Jackson Dart, too, what he does with his legs also, like he'll put up numbers. And so right. if Ole Miss is kind of – recreating what they did last year and even building on that and then you pair it with the, the playoff like that's another thing too how does this heisman conversation get impacted with an expanded playoff because before it was like hey you got to win your conference or you got to right. be in the playoff discussion and then of course that wasn't jane daniels last year but you know that was usually the criteria we were working with now with 12 teams making the playoff can ole miss not win the sec but jackson dart have a chance to to win the heisman i mean i, think, I don't think it's I think he could be this year's Jaden Daniels, I guess, is my, my thought. Man. I got you. All right, well, hey, J.D., I really appreciate you coming through. Before you go, can you tell the audience where can they follow you and where can they find your work? Yeah, man, well, first pleasure to be here. I mean, anywhere you consume college football content, you can find it. Whether you're a podcast person, you go ahead and type in The Hard Count with J.D. Pacal. We're on there. If you want to go to the On3 YouTube channel, got a live show for you three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, man. So, again, a pleasure to be on with you, brother, y'all do tremendous work and i'm happy to be able to sit down with you and talk some ball yeah thank you so much man Absolutely. i appreciate it all right i'll cut it right there hey buddy this beer's for you mike and cousin shane that sec podcast loves the pirate and the pirate loves that sec podcast hail state